and when I turned 30, I really did think, okay, it's, you know, I got to be an adult now. Fun's over. I'm not so freewheeling. Like, I really need to be serious. And I thought I would check off all these things in a line. And I didn't. But what I found by not doing them was that they felt more right when I did get there because I really did want them versus saying like, oh, I am at the right age to do X. So I should be doing X. It was more led by like, no, I actually, I, I want this now. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 41 of Be More Well. My guest today is author and journalist Kayleen Schaefer. We're going to be talking about the dreaded life checklist and how people in their 30s are changing the way that we look at being an adult. The first, Be More Well is a wellness-focused podcast hosted by me, Jeff St. Pierre. Now, you may be asking yourself, what do I know about wellness? And the answer there is almost nothing. That's exactly why I started this podcast. I wanted to learn. I wanted to talk to people from all across the wellness spectrum. So doctors, athletes, musicians, moms, dads, everyone who has a story to tell about how they found mindfulness and wellness in their life. Ultimately, my goal here is to provide you with some information and some inspiration that will help you be happier, be healthier, be less stressed, be more mindful. I just want you all to be more well. So today's conversation hit kind of close to home for me. I feel like most of my adult life, I've been a little late to the party on most of the benchmark things. You know what I'm talking about. You know, going to school, getting married, getting a house, having a kid, etc. I checked off school right on time with most people my age, but everything else took me a little bit longer. And I don't think that I was failing at it. I just don't think it was the right time. And I wasn't about to jump into something where I didn't feel comfortable. Now, the first time I was introduced to these checklist ideas was through a roommate in college. I lived with this guy essentially for all four years of school. He even offered me a room in his house that he had purchased uh, for after graduation. I remember having a conversation with him about life. You know, he had the house. He got a great job offer before graduating. And he also had a girlfriend he'd been with for a little while. And, and don't get me wrong, I love this girl, but I never really thought of the two of them as sort of a long-term thing. Anyway, one night he was telling me that he was going to ask her to marry him. So I posed the question like any good friend would. I said, why? Tell, tell me why is this the person for you? And that's when he told me about the checklist. He was like, well, I've got the house, I've got the job. So the next logical step is the girl. I remember asking him to explain that again because I had never really heard of the checklist, so to speak. Like I knew how life worked. I also was trying to get a job and a partner and all of those things, but I didn't look at them as sort of a to-do list. I just kind of thought they would come to me as they did when I was ready. Now, if you look back in history, that's what people did, though. They had their checklist. By the age of 30, most people had the big five accomplished. School, financial independence, home, spouse, and kid. Can you believe that? By 30. Well, I mean, I graduated school at 22 and became financially independent by 30, I suppose. But I bought a house when I was 36, I think it was. I got married at 38, had a kid at 39. I mean, I got her in just two months before the big 4-0, and I'm not alone. Things are shifting this way. 30 is no longer that big marker. It's getting pushed later and later because people are taking their time. Now, there's a variety of factors that play into this change. College tuition costs have skyrocketed over the last 50 years, while wages have remained pretty stagnant. 
People are having a harder time finding a job that will pay them a decent salary right out of college. They're living with their parents longer, you know, with less money. They just don't have that opportunity to move out of their parents' homes. Uh, marriage today doesn't have the same meaning that it did decades ago. And again, it costs money to get married. Are you sensing a theme? Money seems to be tied into a lot of these things. Well, author and journalist Kayleen Schaefer has put together some amazing research into a great piece of work with her latest book, But You're Still So Young, How 30-somethings are redefining adulthood. She follows eight subjects from different backgrounds to get a very intimate glimpse into this generation that is changing all the rules. Now, before we jump into this conversation, just a couple of quick things. One, be sure to follow Be More Well on whatever platform you're using right now. Subscribe to the show. That way you'll be notified for all future episodes and updates. I would also appreciate it if you could rate the show and leave a review. That kind of interaction helps the podcast powers that be know which shows are making an impact and helps us suggest them to new listeners. It would be so amazing if you could take a minute and rate and review for me. And lastly, I'm on social media. You can find us on Instagram at Be More Well Podcast. Please feel free to send me a DM with any comments or questions or even guests or topic ideas. I love to hear from you guys about what you'd like to learn more about. Uh, how is your, uh, how's your big uh, media tour day going for you? <laughs> It's good. <laughs> I was just joking with my wife. I was like, I feel like I'm on one of those tours right now because this morning has been so crazy with like virtual meetings. It's like you hang up on one, right. you immediately go into the next. Uh -huh. and then the next. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Oh, but anyway, I love your book. I, I really, Thank I think this is such a, it's such an interesting concept to take on and I'm so glad that you did, but I do want to blow up your ego for just a second, if you don't mind. Okay. Um. So as you, I'm sure you know, when your publisher sends out the book, they send out you know, information to go with it. And I've never seen them send one that has as many quotes from people as yours. <laughs> it's like three pages of quotes of people talking about how great you are. That's nice. <laughs> it's like, it's got to make you feel good, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it sure does. So I just hit a life milestone uh, a few weeks ago. I, I actually turned 40 and it's funny. I, I'm not someone that does. Thank you. I'm not somebody that does really believe in the checklist idea, but everybody was asking me how it felt to be 40 and I just was kind of forced into thinking about it. And then of course your book comes my way and I'm just like, wow, this is, this is the subject, right? Like why do we still feel compelled to be in these constructs that we've designed? Sure. We hit that decade mark and it's just a, Oh gosh, look at your life in the frame of this whole decade because you got one year older, practically speaking. <laughs> So tell me a little bit about the book. Let's just go ahead and start there. So the book is called, But You're Still So Young, How 30-somethings Are Redefining Adulthood. I wrote the book. I wanted to look at 30-somethings. I had a selfish reason first. I was at the end of my 30s and thinking, this didn't go how I thought it was going to go. You know, did I, did I do badly? Am I okay? And I, and I felt good about my life and where I was, but I just wasn't sure because I had this stereotype of traditional adulthood reverberating in my head. Um, but I wanted to specifically look at 30-somethings who were going after their own milestones on their own time, doing what they were ready for or what they could reach and tell them that that's totally okay. For sure. I remember the first time that I really came across this idea of like the life milestones. I mean, I mean, you hear about them as you're growing up, obviously you hear about marriage and kids and buying a house and all that stuff. Um, but I was in college, I was a senior in college. And I remember one of my roommates uh, saying to me that he had a checklist and I was like, a checklist for what? And like, what do you, why do you have a checklist? Like, well, I'm getting my degree. I've got the girl that I'm going to marry. I just put an offer in on a house I'm doing. And I'm just like, so you're, you're literally planning out your life step by step. You don't just kind of want to 
see where it goes. And, and that really, that's a mentality that so many people have. The idea of this checklist is, is interesting. And I think, you know, we do have it in our heads. In the book, I, I follow eight people and I followed them for two years. And um, one of the characters, Marcus, talks about this exact thing. You know, he had that list and he wanted to know, have I hit the list? You know, and it was just in his head. He didn't write it down or anything, but he was checking in with it. And when he realized, you know, I haven't hit everything on the list, is, am I doing this wrong? Is my life okay? Uh, what, what, it's like, it's a, me it's a way of measuring things that is arbitrary, honestly. You know, what you're doing is, is what you're supposed to be doing. I'm all about setting goals in life and wanting to reach goals. But at the same time, like, you know, getting married is a goal that could go either direction many different times. You know, like that requires somebody else to be a part of the equation uh, in there. So it's really hard for me to believe that's a checklist item because it's just like you don't have full control over that. There are these five items uh, that were defined by sociologists in the 1950s that when you had checked off all five of them, then you entered adulthood. So that was 70 years ago. So I just want to tell you that before I give you the list. Um, the first one is um, completing school. The second is leaving home. Um, the third is marrying. And the fourth is becoming financially independent. So those could be flipped. Um, and the fifth is having a child. And those are, those are huge milestones. And to think that in the 1950s, many, many people had them checked off in their late teens, early 20s is astounding, I think, to a lot of 30-year-olds who are still sitting there thinking like, do I want to marry this person? I'm not sure. <laughs> Well, it's fascinating, too, that you say that, you know, these things were talked about 50 years ago because, you know, I feel like there are people that are on the older side of things and the older generations that don't understand how different the world may be for younger people. Because for them, as you say, like they might have had a lot of these things already checked off by 22, graduating college and they're set to go. But now it's just very different. Graduating college does not ensure you that job, does not ensure you the ability to move out. You know, the, it's just the world is so different, but yet these are the people that kind of are the gatekeepers to where we can go next. I wrote this book in part because I did want to show what this really looks like. I think a lot of people with 30-something-year-old children are sort of wondering, like, well, what are they doing? Because they want them to be happy and how they structured their life made them happy. So, so they just want their kids to have that too. And it's confusing if they're not doing that and they wonder why and are they okay? And is this delay gonna be forever? Is it for now? And I think when you actually just see how 30-somethings are living their lives and see these considered thoughtful approaches to these milestones, I think it's really illuminating in as far as like there, there doesn't need to be as much hand wringing as I think there is, you know, in some parts of the country. Oh, for sure. I joke with my parents. all. I mean, I just turned 40 and I still joke with them. I was like, man, if I got a job, you know, closer to where you guys live, I'd move in. Come on, we'll bring the family. Let's <laughs> let's let's make this happen together. It's great. But there are people that still view you're living with. I mean, you hear it on the news all the time. People are living with their parents like it's a bad thing. You know, like, I mean, if it works for you, why is that a problem? It shouldn't be. And the actual statistic, which I think surprises a lot of people, and this was true before the pandemic, the most common way of living for 18 to 34 year olds is with their parents. Um, 
So that's, that's hugely different because it used to be that it was with a spouse or a partner. And, and with the pandemic, obviously that's caused you know, thousands of more adult children to go back with their parents, whether it's because their school shut down, they were furloughed from their job, they could no longer afford to pay their rent or their mortgage. Um, so this is only increasing. And I think that there will be more acceptance of it because it's not a bad thing. If you're doing it to save money, if you're considering going back to school, even if you had a breakup, you know, this, it can be a good thing to go back with your family and to seek support there. I was actually thinking about the five things uh, about adulthood and I was thinking, did I check them off before 30? And I graduated school and I moved out from my parents. So I got two and I, I was like financially independent. I would say I got a half on because I'm still paying off some of the debt, but I was not actually taking money from anybody else in my family. So I was trying to pay for things on my own and I'm continuously still doing that to this day. But I, I missed out on the marriage. I just got married at 38. Um, I had a baby at 39 and here I am 40. So, I mean, I, I got some checked off in the thirties, but you know, most people that's where it's happening now. I think I forget the exact statistics, so you can correct me on this, but I think, you know, a few years back, it was like 60 to 70% of people were getting it done before 30 and now only about 25% or so are doing it. That's exactly right. It's 24%. And that statistic, um, the most recent numbers we have is actually from 2006. So it's changed a ton in the time since then, I am sure. And that is, you know, that's a quarter of people. And so I don't think that anyone in their 30s who has a lot of anxiety about, am I doing this right? You know, you can look at that statistic and it's some comfort, but it is still, we're, we're up against still this traditional adulthood and we see it on social media. And it's just very much in our face. Like I got engaged, I bought a house, I got a promotion. You know, we celebrate these accomplishments a lot on social media. And if you're not having them, then you may wonder like, what's wrong with me? Am I doing this wrong? And you're not, you know, you're taking your time and, and figuring out your life. Like, like you said, you you took a while to come to those two mar- personal milestones, as you should. You did them when they were right for you. For sure, and I feel like that's the kind of thing that some people just don't seem to understand. Is that you know you're doing it when it's right for you, as opposed to forcing it just to satisfy some sort of social need. Exactly. You know, I there's this idea of the age 30 deadline, it, particularly in marriage, particularly for women. Um, and when I turned 30, I really did think, okay, it's, you know, I got to be an adult now. Fun's over. I'm not so freewheeling. Like, I really need to be serious. And I thought I would check off all these things in a line. And I didn't. But what I found by not doing them was that they felt more right when I did get there because I really did want them versus saying like, oh, I am at the right age to do X. So I should be doing X. It was more led by like, no, I actually, I I want this now. And, you know, I'm lucky enough to set up my life pretty close to the life that I wanted. Um, And I don't, but there are, you know, there's a lot in our way that may block that and can be very frustrating and is very hard. And it's the flip side of this story that there's a lot in this country that can prevent you from getting the life you want. It's funny to me how much social constructs still live in our heads. Like I know one of the people that you spoke with when you're you know putting the book together, um, I, I'm not going to try to quote it because I will misquote it, but the he was talking about how he wanted to stay home. He was going to be a stay-at-home dad and he really wanted to break a lot of the stigma of what you know being a stay-at-home dad was like. But even then he found himself getting frustrated with it and, and realizing that he had a lot of these stereotypical masculine beliefs still in his head um, as he was getting to that point. Yes. 
Um, that's Adam's story, and it's a great story. Um, he and his wife had their first child at 30, and at the time, she just she had the better job. She had health insurance, and they just said, okay, you know, you, you'll stay home with the baby. And they had another child, and, and he found himself really, you know, a stay-at-home dad. And part of him recognizes that he's much better at it than his wife would be. You know, he has a better temperament. He can just, you know, deal with the minutia of raising a small child. But then he is, as he gets older, just butting up against this stereotype of masculinity. And he said, you know, he mentioned like a family reunion. Um, you know, what did he have to talk about with the other male relatives? And he felt some insecurity about that in a way that he hadn't expected when he initially made the decision to stay home with our children. One of the things that's been yeah, sort of a subject that I've been fascinated by these last few years is this idea of perception versus reality. You know, like and you talked about social media there and we talked a little bit about statistics of, you know, what are people really doing? And that even goes back, you know, almost two decades now when that research was done. So it's surely definitely different now. Um, but it just you know, my wife is a teacher and this is a great example right now. My wife is a teacher. And if you look at the news, all you would think is that Kids are struggling. Parents are hating at home school. And it's just the biggest nightmare of all time. But when they do research with the parents in her district, most of them want their kids to remain at home and continue doing virtual learning right now. Um, and, and I know that's different across the board everywhere you look, but it's this idea of perception versus reality. And that's a big piece of your book as well, because there's this perception that 30 is this crazy marker that you have to have all these things done by. But the reality is most people are doing these things in their 30s or, you know, making a life work for them the best way they can. This perception versus reality um, concept is exactly why I didn't just want to look at the statistics, because I, I don't think that's much comfort. And that's why I wanted to really show how eight people and myself went through our 30s. And I followed them for two years. And I just, they told me about everything, all of how their lives were set up, their days, their triumphs, their setbacks, what they were aiming to do, what they weren't sure they could do. And it was just very interesting to get to that interior place with them because I don't, we don't talk about that a lot. You know, we do celebrate, I made this milestone or I did this or I accomplished this, but we don't talk a lot about the anxiety in getting to those places and how it's, it's hard in many, many cases to, to do these things. Something I heard you talk about uh, before is that women are driving a lot of these changes, too. And, and I think that's uh, kind of interesting because I know there are a lot of women that are putting their career first, and that's awesome. That's great to see. Um, but you always hear, the, again, the stereotype is that men don't want to settle down. And now with dating apps and Internet, there's just this endless supply of people you can meet. But in a lot of studies, you see men are the ones that fall in love first and men are the ones that want to settle down more. So it's it's interesting to see that women are, are driving a lot of this change here. Women are driving a lot of this change um, because marriage used to be the first step for women to kick off their adult lives. You know, that that guaranteed them entry into the rest of these milestones. Um, and that's not the case anymore. You know, women don't have to do, to be married first. Um and so that has delayed the age of marriage. And I think men are shifting here too. You know, it's 
it's a lot different to be married now than it was when, when you mainly only had to be a provider, right? Like we expect our spouse to be our best friend, the person we're super attracted to all the time, a great co-parent and to be provide. You know, it's a lot of pressure to put on one person. And so I think both people entering into the relationship are considering whether they're ready and that is resulting in this delay. And the same with children. You know, there's all kinds of studies that show that women, um, their income falters after after they have their first child. But if you have your first child after 35, a recent report showed your income recovers pretty well to where it was before you had the child. So I think women are saying, yes, it's a good idea to establish my career first and, and then have children after that, which has not always been the case. Something else you mentioned there too is, is the term provider. And yeah, you know, there was a time when one person could work and look, somebody with the right uh, with the right salary can still make this work. But there was a time where one person could be the provider for a family and you could have someone that stayed home all the time. But in the world we live in now, it's tough. It's difficult to make that work um, right now. So there is a different expectation because both people are likely going to have to be out there doing things. And that also can lead to, Hey, do we have enough money for childcare? That's been a discussion in our house. You know, what, what do we do when we are back in the office and we're not working from home and we have to find someone to take care of our child? You know, th there's a lot of different things that just come with the way the world has shifted. It absolutely has. Um, you know, our, our wages aren't rising with the cost of things. Everything is increasing. Childcare is one of those things of healthcare, the cost of homes. And so the financial part of this story can't be understated because many, many people are waiting to reach that level of financial security and where they feel comfortable before they do have a child because they know it's expensive and, and they don't wanna do it before they feel ready. Whereas um, decades ago, um, you could have a much more comfortable life um, with the money that you earned and workers were more protected, they had more job security and the financial anxiety just wasn't as great, at least for if you were white, you know, I should always say that, you know, that it, the economy was good and being in the middle class was really good in the 50s if you were a white person. When you look at marriage, you know, in particular there, uh, the marriage rates are, you know, lower than we've seen before, but it's not that people aren't finding partners. It's just a lot of people are saying we don't want to get married. Um, in your research, when you're putting this book together, what are some of the things that you saw um, as reasons for that? I devote a chapter to marrying because it's a, it's a huge milestone and, and a huge part of our social fabric. Um, and I look at it in in one situation through the lens of a woman named Sally who got engaged in her 20s to um, her college boyfriend, they fell in love and, and she thought, okay, I'm, I'm gonna get married and this is gonna be my life. And um, then they called the engagement off and she suddenly didn't have the life that she thought she was gonna embark upon. And so she decided to move to Paris. She'd always wanted to live there. Her ex-fiance never wanted to leave where they were. Um, and so she embarked on this totally different adventure that she didn't plan on having because she didn't get married right away. Um, when you were talking to people and putting this book together, what was something that really surprised you that you found out that you weren't expecting to hear? I have, was surprised in many steps along the way, but um, I, I finished a draft of this book 
last February. And as we are celebrating this anniversary of um, you know the pandemic being a year, I mean, that just, it didn't upend everything because these delays were already happening before the pandemic, but they actually increased them and made the book more relevant and more true. Uh, because these delays have only intensified during this year of pause and rethinking our life and struggling to to get to where we thought we were going to be at this age. Oh, for sure. I can only imagine. Like, I think to my own my own growth after college, I wanted to go into broadcasting, which may not be the most common uh, thing in the world for people to want to get into. But I worked in restaurants for five or six years while I was doing part time radio work and trying to get my foot in the door places. And right now, over this last year, a lot of those restaurant jobs don't exist or they've been extremely limited uh, because of the COVID situation. And I just think about all those people that that was going to be their next step. Like their next step was I graduated. Okay, well, I try to find that next job, the big job that I want. I'm going to be waiting tables or bartending or whatever. And, and that's gone. That's, I mean, thousands upon thousands of jobs that people don't have. And a lot of people putting their life on hold. Two of the characters in the book, um, they want to be comedians. And, and, you know, they are making web series. They do stand up, you know, they do improv, but they also have steady restaurant jobs, which is what pays their bills. And so when the pandemic started, it was a re it was just, I mean, everything they were working on shut down, their restaurant shut down, but you know, so did the improv theater and there were auditions, but only over Zoom and who was even filming in person. And so for them, it was a real gut check of, do we really still want to keep going after this and struggling to become comedians? You know, that, that's their dream and that's been their dream since they were in college, but they were working really hard on both ends to make that happen. And it was sort of just a reevaluation for them of like, is this what we want to be doing with our life? I can only imagine. I I don't know much about the comedy world, but my primary job is with a music radio station. And I just think of all of the artists and not even just the artists. I work in the country music world and country music is largely known by single artists, you know, Kenny Chesney or Luke Bryan, but they have bands and they have touring teams and they have all these people that for the last year have done almost literally nothing. And it just, I, I think about all those people, like their dream was to play on a stage. Their dream is to plug in that guitar and, and have a great night in front of thousands of people. And now they're worried about paying rent and being able to afford or, or moving in somewhere they can't, you know, it's just, it's crazy what kind of impact this has all had on everybody. I mean, it's touched everyone. And um, I'm particularly looking at 30 somethings and it has touched our life in all of these five milestones and just in so many small ways. And you know, in the best cases, this cause has been freeing and clarifying. Like, do, is what I did every day making me happy? You know, do I still want to keep doing that? But you know, in the worst, it really just intensifies this fear of like, I don't know if I'm going to get to where I want to be. I don't know if these milestones, if I'm going to get what milestones I want to achieve. And that that's really tough. For sure. And for millennials and for even a lot of Generation Z, they've been through something very similar before. I mean, this is the second time they've experienced something. I mean, there are, I'm sure there are a lot of millennials that were just digging themselves out of a situation they may have found themselves in, you know, 10-ish years ago. And now here we are back in it again. It just, 
I mean, for anybody to look at these generations of people and wonder why they're putting some of these things up, I, I don't know how they can wonder that. I mean, it seems so clear. I think the way that makes it the most clear for me is we're going through our second once in a lifetime recession. <laughs> you know? So it is what it is. And, you know, the society is structured the way it is and our workers um, benefits are the way they are. And I have found, you know, this, I, it's, it's not a complete downer of a story. There is still a ton of positivity and a ton of resilience out there. And in the eight people that I've followed, you know, as they continue to check in with them during this time, I mean, they really, you know, they're not stopping. They're not like, oh, I give up. <laughs> they're still going, they're moving, you know, they are deciding to have children, you know, they are switching careers, they are adding more financial security. Like there's good stories and good forward momentum here, but it is definitely at a slower pace than it once was. Yeah, I don't want people to think it's all doom and gloom yeah. because for a lot of the people, you know, not even just in your book, but for a lot of the people in this age group in general, the reason they're putting things off is because they're following their dreams and they're going after their goals and they're chasing the things that they want to chase. It's not because they can't do it. It's because they really want to do something else. So yeah, maybe marriage takes a back seat for a little while because, you know, someone wants to pack up and move to Paris and try life in a different country. You know, and that's an exciting thing. That's a great thing. Right. There is this positive part of all of this anxiety about the choices we have, which our lives would be really dull if we didn't have choices. Like, yes, something is lost, when you have to make a choice, but how terrible not to have that opportunity or not to be excited about lots of different things and have to pick one. You know, this is the better way to go, in my opinion, to have these choices and to have these options. Uh, Kaylee, the uh, the book is great. It's such interesting. And I, what I really like about it too is that you followed people, like you said before. It wasn't just all about the research and regurgitating numbers. Uh, it was about really diving into people and how they were living their lives, and that's what really makes it stand out. Um, you know, so much, you know, among other things that we see, but the book is called, but you're still so young, how 30 somethings are redefining adulthood. Kayleen, where can people go to find out some more information about you or about the book? I have a website, KayleenSchaefer.com, um, or the book is available wherever you buy books, you know, Amazon, bookshop.org, your local indie bookstore, Barnes and Noble, you can pick it up anywhere. Well, thank you so much, Kayleen. I appreciate your time and good luck with everything else. Thank you. Big thank you to Kayleen Schaefer for her time this week. If you're in your 30s and you haven't checked everything off, don't worry, you are definitely not alone. And thank you to all of you for listening. I so appreciate you taking time out of your day to hang out. Make sure you subscribe to Be More Well, and I'll catch you next week.